Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Sorry to be breaking up all that thing, conversation, but uh, let's come to our Bible reading this morning. And this morning we are looking at Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 to chapter 4. Sorry, Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 to chapter 4, verse 9. Please open your Bibles to uh, those verses. And let's pray before we begin. Oh Lord, we are so thankful that uh, you've given us your word and that we live in this country where we can access it and read it and study it. And Lord, we pray that you put in us that desire to do so. And as we um, listen to your word and learn of it today, we pray, Father, for you to prepare our hearts and to also anoint the lips of our pastor who's bringing this teaching to us. So. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, um, we studied chapter 3, and Paul urged his audience not to put their confidence in, in the flesh or in legalistic acts, but to have a mindset focused on Jesus and his promises. And today, we continue in verse chapter 3, verse 17. Join with us in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before and now say again, even with tears, many leave, many leave, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizen is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they would be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with you, O oh dear, and I plead with Sintichi to agree with each other in the Lord, Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it in practice and the Lord of peace will be with you. This is the word of God. Thank you, Auntie Hangi. Now, we're, um, this is our second last sermon in our Joy-Filled Servant series from Philippians. It's, been, it's such a wonderful book, Philippians, isn't it? It's been wonderful. And today we're, go we're actually going to be uh, looking into 
um, after, after the service, uh, some time to actually think about serving practically in the church uh, with our serving expo outside. But after the sermon also, we're going to be having a few interviews. We're going to be having a little few insights into our ministries here at CPE Church as well. So that'll be a wonderful time as we get a bit of an insight into what it looks like to actually serve Jesus Christ on the ground. Now, I hope you had a good chat there. I wonder how many spontaneous people versus structured people are there. I'm just going to do a quick survey. Who, who are the structured people here? Who like structure? Yeah. Uh, who likes spont- spontaneity? Go with the flow. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good, good mix. Now, I think there's pros and cons to each. Not one is better than the other. Sometimes we make it a moral issue, like, oh, that person's so spontaneous, terrible. You know, like, you know, there's, there's pros and cons to each to think about. But um, I ask you that question because I uh, just wanted to get a feel for us, as, um, you know, in terms of like our natural tendencies. But I want us to also think, right, that even if you're like super laid back, even if you're super spontaneous, you just want to go with the flow, I think we all know that if we want to set ourselves up for the best chance of success, we need a little bit of planning. Okay? We, we need a bit of a game plan uh, to set ourselves up for success. Um, we know that's smart, right? So if you have an exam, students, there's students here, here's a bit of advice. You've got to prepare for your exam. Okay? You've got to study. You've got to do past questions and stuff like that. You've got to do past papers because then sometimes they ask exactly the same question as the past papers too, and then you're super prepared. right? It's, it's great preparation. You've got to have a game plan. If you go into a job interview, you need to be prepared for that. You need to wear something professional. You need to rehearse some you know, uh, answers to questions that they always ask. You need to um, be prepared to actually perform in that job interview. Um, if you go on a first date, right, you need to be prepared. All right? You need to pick a nice restaurant. Uh, men, you need to have a shower. You need to get changed in some nice clothes. It makes a difference. Uh, you need to bring some flowers. You know, you need, you need to be prepared if you want to set yourself up for the best chance of success. You, you need a game plan. I've got a friend who um, actually, uh, he helps out in one of the local basketball clubs, uh, NBL One club called the Spartans. And what he does, his job is actually to prepare the team for the game. So he actually scouts out the, oppo- the opponent's team and he writes a report for every player on the, opponent, the opposing team. And he writes down where they like you know, their, their natural tendencies, where they shoot from on the court, how do you defend that player, things like that, what strategies um, the Spartans can use to actually shut them down. There's a very detailed game plan, and that's needed to actually set his team up for the best chance of success. He's setting his team up for a win. I think when we think about it, we, we have a game plan in our life for the things that we think are important. The things we think are important, we actually prepare for, we plan for. So I wonder... What's your game plan for your Christian life? What's your game plan? My fear is many of us are sort of going with the flow a bit too much here. Yeah? We're living without one. But I want to actually show you today from scriptures that the Apostle Paul, uh, he actually thinks it's important. Uh, there's some key aspects here that he's going to outline for us to actually give us the best chance of success the best chance of actually winning in the Christian life. And that means making it to the end, persevering, following Jesus Christ. And I think that's what we all want today, isn't it? So let's get into the scriptures. But um, let me set the scene. The passage today, it's very practical, okay? Very practical. It's a bunch of, uh, it's a list of instructions, commands, very practical. If you look at it, it's just, you know, in one sense you could see just a list of things to do. But it's actually based on a really solid gospel theology that's come throughout the entire book. That's the basis of all the commands to come today. Uh, the contrast, even if we look at last 
week, the chapter that we looked at last week. There's a contrast of the enemy, enemies of the cross that are set on earthly things versus true Christians. Paul outlined the fact that, you know, as Christians, we are citizens of heaven. We belong to heaven. We're awaiting Christ's return. The gospel has given us new identities, a new life. Jesus has done this all for us. Therefore, we're to now live differently. And this is where these commands come from. Have a look at Philippians 4 verse 1 with me in in your Bibles. Philippians 4 verse 1. I'll just read it out. Therefore, my brothers and sisters... In light of all those things, this is what he's saying, that's come before. Jesus is coming back, your citizen of heaven. You whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Stand firm. That's what he wants. The overarching command here, our game plan that Paul wants us to have is to stand firm in the Lord. And all the things that come after feed into that. And we're at our first point, which is this. It's be united. Be united. Have a look at verse 2 with me. I plead with Eudea and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Now, Paul is actually painting a scene here. There's a conflict between two women in the church, Eudea and Syntyche. And it's a significant conflict. Otherwise, he wouldn't be writing this for the entire church to read about, right? It's not a small thing. And you actually see in these verses that these women are described as co-workers in the gospel. They contended side by side with Paul for the sake of the gospel. Likely, they were significant leaders in the church. So when they had conflict, it affected the entire congregation. This was significant. We don't know what the conflict is about. But the result is this. They've actually lost sight of what's important. And Paul's trying to call them back to this. All right? Um, I plead with Eudea and Syntyche, verse 2, says this, to be of the same mind in the Lord. In the Lord. Now, what Paul is saying here isn't that they have to agree on absolutely everything. Okay? He's not saying that. But he's saying to have the same mind in the Lord. In, a, in the context of the letter, I think this can be nothing less than loving, gospel-centered humility. Now, why do I think this? Well, I'll take you back to Philippians 2, verse 3 to 5. Have a look, have a look on the slide. It says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relations with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus says that language, having the same mindset, having the same mind in the Lord. And what's the same mindset as Jesus Christ, the same mindset of Christ? Well, it's this, that Jesus, although he was in very nature God, made himself nothing. He humbled himself, took on the form of a servant, and humbled himself even to the point of death, death on a cross, to forgive our sins. That's the mindset of Jesus Christ. Friends, a Christ-shaped mindset is one of humble, other-person-centered love. Humble, other-person-centered love. And what, this is a mindset that prioritizes the needs of others above yourselves. That's willing to put off your own preferences for the sake of loving another. Uh, uh, so, 
this is a mindset that seeks to love the other so that they can keep walking with Jesus Christ and you can keep contending together for the sake of the gospel. Putting aside all other things because the gospel is what matters. And unfortunately, these women, they have forgotten this. And here's the thing to really understand for us as a church, friends. You can't stand firm if you aren't united. You can't stand firm if you aren't united. I used to be the vice president of a student club at UQ uh, called BSA back in the day. Um, we organized fun events like all-you-can-eat yamcha, which almost sent us bankrupt every time we did it. I don't know why we did that. Um, and as a team, we had a common goal. It was just to have, enable students to have fun. We are all working towards that goal. Um, and it was, a, it was a great little team. We all did great. And um, uh, I remember really distinctly, though, there was a conflict in the team. Uh, one person said something about another person. They got really offended. Both people refused to apologize to each other. And what happened from that was that the team started taking sides. There was divisions. There was splits. Half the team sided with one person. Half the team sided with the other. Um, I remember it was my first ever um, leadership challenge, I guess, when I was, I was really like, oh, I have to do something about this. I tried to step in, tried to mediate, tried to go, guys, come on, we're all here for the same reason. Uh, it didn't work at all. Um, one, one of those people ended up quitting. Um, it just took all our time and energy. It just, yeah, we, it sort of derailed what we were doing for that entire whole period. We couldn't do anything else but try to sort out this conflict. And you might have been part of a team that was dysfunctional. Um, maybe you've been part of a team or maybe you are in one now that's dysfunctional, toxic. They don't, you don't have the same values. You don't stand together. It doesn't work. You can't stand firm if you aren't united. And this is even more true when it comes to the Christian faith. Conflict, my friends, it takes away valuable time and energy from the mission of Jesus Christ. When you're so focused at trying to sort things out and trying to um, you know, have this battle, you're not even thinking about reaching other people with the gospel of Jesus, are you? If the church is tearing itself apart, you're not even thinking about the needs of the world that's lost around you. Unfortunately, I've seen this happen so often. And even if you want to proclaim the gospel, how hard is it to actually bring the gospel of love and reconciliation to other people when you yourself in your heart are not reconciled to others? And you feel that there's something off there when you're acting more like an enemy of the cross than like Christ. And at its most basic level, conflict is just deeply discouraging and sad and painful. It hurts our souls. It undermines our faith. Let me tell you something. I think more people leave the church because they've had a falling out with a fellow believer than they've had a falling out with Christ. Isn't that true? And the thing is, Satan, he loves it when we fight. He loves it. So friends, don't let him win. Don't let him win. If you are in conflict with someone in the church, I want you to ask God to help you have a heart like Jesus Christ. By ourselves, trust me, that's impossible. Right? We need God's help in this. Because when you're in a conflict with someone, when you've had a disagreement with someone, the last thing you're thinking about is that person, isn't it? You're thinking about yourself. You're thinking about how you've been hurt, how you've been wronged, how, how they need to apologize to you. All these things, that's what you're thinking about, what, what you want. And the last thing you're thinking about is the good of the other person. I, I, now, I don't want to downplay the hurt that comes from conflict. But I think what we need to realize is 
We can't really change the other person. But what we can do is change our response with God's help, with God's help. There's no one-size-fits-all for healing the wounds of conflict, but no matter what's, what's happened in that conflict, I think we need to ask for the mindset of Jesus Christ, you know, that humble, other person-centered mindset. That's so hard, that's so difficult. And there's not one formula that, that can fix this, but I think apologies are important. You can't force that from others, but you can take the first step to apologize for your part in it. And community is actually really important too. Did you notice something about this section? Paul's writing to the whole church about this. It's not just a private, a private issue. I'm not saying we have to air every single conflict out to everybody in the church, but I think what this is pointing out is that other people should be involved. We're, we're a community here. If you're in conflict, talk to someone you trust about it. Don't try to sort it out by yourself. Don't let that bitterness and resentment grow in your heart. Talk to someone so they can support you. Maybe they can advocate for you to that other person. Talk to that other person on your behalf. And in time, maybe they'll be able to help you just think through how you might be able to forgive as well. Now, I'm not saying this is easy. This will take time. Weeks, months, maybe years even. I'm not sure, but I'm really convinced that if we want to stand firm in Christ, we need to do it together. We need to do it together. Now, friends, that's the first part of our faith game plan, to stand firm together to be united. The second is to have the right mindset. <clears throat> uh, legendary uh, New York Yankees catcher, New York Yankees is a baseball team. Um, uh, Yogi Berry, it's a good name, isn't it? Yogi Berry, he's famous for saying this. Uh, baseball is 90% mental and 10% physical. Now, it seems odd to say that about elite sports, especially when you know, you're, you're playing sports, but I think he's onto something there because at a level where everybody is performing at this elite athletic level, oftentimes the difference is mindset. It's, right, it's, it's how you approach the game. It's what you're actually thinking. So I guess Paul's pointing this section of the letter, the next section of the letter here, to ask us about our mindsets. Do we have the right perspective? How resilient, resilient are we when stresses and challenges come? This makes all the difference. It will change the way you behave, the way you live. And see what Paul says in verse 4. Have a look at verse 4. Very significant verse. Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Paul's got a double rejoicing command here. Yeah, just in case you forget. Rejoice in the Lord. I'll say it again. Rejoice. He doesn't want us to forget. This is a huge theme of the letter. Joy. Rejoice. And what does he say? He says, Always Rejoice in the Lord, always. Not only in good circumstances. Remember, he's talking about conflict in the church here. And then he goes on to say rejoice. So it's not only in good circumstances, but in whatever the circumstances. And we've seen that all throughout the letter. Paul's talking about hard circumstances. You know, he's talking about being locked up for the sake of the gospel. He's talking about opponents of the gospel trying to come in and destroy the church. But in the midst of all this, he can still say rejoice. Why? Well, it's because of the gospel. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, rejoice 
that because of your faith, you're united with Jesus Christ. Rejoice that you have salvation. Rejoice that you are a citizen of heaven. Rejoice that Christ will return and transform your lowly bodies into new, heavenly, perfect, transformed bodies. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Rejoice because of what Jesus has done for you. And rejoice because of who you are now in Christ. That's what he's saying. And the thing about that is all those things, right? Nothing changes those things. No circumstances can change that for you. No sickness, no breakup, no persecution, no failure, no conflict, no rejection. None of those things change the fact that if you've come to Christ, you are a child of God. You are a citizen of heaven. Which is why you can rejoice in the Lord always. You notice that? Always, no matter the circumstance. Friends, this isn't about being happy all the time. It's about something deeper. It's a steadfast assurance of unchanging gospel realities for you. Right? Eternal realities that no matter what we face, that even with tears of grief streaming down our face, we can have a deep joy that we belong to Jesus and he hasn't abandoned us. That hasn't changed that, no matter the circumstance. Friends, do you believe that? Do you believe that no matter what happens to you in your life, no matter how good or how bad the things are that happen to you in your life, that God still loves you? That He still has you in His hands? That you are a citizen of heaven? Because friends, you are. In Christ, that's who you are. We can rejoice in the Lord. Friends, this is a radical mindset. It leads to a radically different life. It changes the way we live. And one of the things that it changes is this. is gospel joy. This gospel joy, it helps us to actually love those around us. Have a look at verse 5. Have a look at verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Paul goes on straight away after talking, asking you to rejoice. He's talking about gentleness. Now, gentleness, it sounds a bit weak, doesn't it? Be gentle, but actually gentleness takes great strength because gentleness is the big theme of this letter. Gentleness is the heart of Jesus Christ, humble and lowly, gentle, one that serves the other, that seeks the good of the other. That takes real strength. And this joy in the Lord, if we have joy in the Lord, it gives us a brand new mindset in the way to actually view others. It helps us to have a patient spirit that bears with others even when they aren't perfect it helps us to be humble it helps us to put the needs of others before ourselves and here with this call for gentleness paul's actually just reinforcing what he's been saying about Judea and syntyche this conflict that's been happening in the church that you can put off your privileges you can put off your wants and your needs for the sake of others because you already have everything in christ you don't have to feel like you're losing out And as you do this, I think it will also help you grow in joy, won't it? Because let me tell you, you will find joy as you love and serve others. As you actually put the needs of others yourself, you will find true joy. Even the secular world knows this, you know, hashtag show kindness, right? 
it, it, there's something good about it. But it shouldn't surprise us that that's the case, that we will find more joy when we serve others because this is what we were made for. Because when we do that, we're actually following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour, the servant king, whose whole life was about humble service and love of others. So when we're walking in step with that, we're actually walking in step with who Jesus made us to be. More like him. More like him. He is the one who is near. We're to follow his footsteps as we await our king's return any day now. Gospel joy helps us to love those around us. But also this, gospel joy helps us not to be, helps us to be, not be anxious. Not be anxious. This is a mindset. So have a look at verse 6 with me. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now this is a very famous verse. I'm sure you would have heard it before. Philippians 4 verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. But here's the thing. My guess is that many of us here today are anxious about many things. Isn't that right? We're anxious about the assessments around the corner. We're anxious about our work and what's going to happen tomorrow, whether we're performing well enough, whether our business is going to survive, whether whatever might be. We're anxious about the health of our aging parents. We're anxious about whether we're failing to be a good parent to our kids or not. We're anxious about our marriages. We're anxious about our singleness. There are so many worries and anxieties. What, I wonder what you're anxious about today. I'm anxious about launching two gatherings. I don't know where they will work. I don't know sometimes if I'm making the right decisions, if I'm leading in the right way. I've really faced some difficulties with this. I'm anxious about all the hard conversations I've had to have, I've had to have this year and whether I could have had, done better in those conversations. There are so many stresses to worry about in this world. Let me tell you, that's just part of living in this broken world with challenges and hardships all around us. And if we let it, our worries can absolutely overwhelm us if we let it. But God's word is telling us something here. Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Instead, pray to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You can have peace in the midst of anxiety. And the peace that it's talking about here, let me just talk about the pieces for a minute. It's more than just a subjective feeling of calm that comes and goes. Okay, This is a peace, did you notice, that guards our hearts and minds. How? In Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. This is gospel-centered peace. I don't know if you've ever stopped to ask, what is peace? What does peace actually mean? Well, it isn't, peace is not really about quiet. Okay, It's not really about calm. It's the absence of conflict. Peace means the war is over. Peace means victory has been won. Peace means things are as it should be. And the good news of the gospel is this, that the war is over between us and God that we no longer stand as his enemies anymore 
but we are at peace with him. Think about this. Because of what Christ has done on that cross, because of his resurrection, we are friends with God now. God is on our side. God's got our back. God has our lives in his hands. We have the God of the universe looking after us, not just as his friends, but as his beloved children. That's how he treats us. And let me, let me ask you a question, a question that Romans 8 poses to us. If God is for us, who can be against us? Honestly, this is the God of the universe that we're talking about here. And he loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. And he will never let us go. No matter how hard it is. So friends, no matter what the world throws at us, we will not be defeated. God is on our side. And he will bring us safely home. We need to hold on to that. This gives us the confidence we need to put aside our worries and to pray. Thankfully, did you notice it says with thanksgiving? Thankfully, in all things, knowing he is powerful and knowing that he is in control. That's why we can rejoice. That's why we can say, do not be anxious. Because God has us in his hands. Now, friends, I want to take a moment to briefly talk to people here who's uh, amongst us who suffer from uh, clinical anxiety. Uh, to all of us, too, to help to understand and care for those who actually suffer from this. is is so common. Um, Paul Grimmond, as one of the trainers of Pastor Matt and I, um, we were training down at UNSW, wrote this book recently. It's called When the Noise Won't Stop. It's about a Christian view of anxiety. He's writing this as someone who suffers from anxiety uh, himself. So it's a wonderful book to read, to understand. And he he says something like this. He, He actually said that telling a person with anxiety is simply don't stop being anxious is like telling an ice cream to not melt in summertime. It just doesn't work. You can't just say that. Because anxiety is a real, terrible mental health condition that can range from, you know, meaning that you're just up all night long thinking about the same thing over and over and over again. You just don't sleep the entire night. To, at its worst, being full-blown panic attacks that just incapacitate you. It's complex. It's got physiological elements to it. It's got environmental elements to it. It's there's a lot of things that come into it. And clinical anxiety, it needs holistic care. Um, GPs, psychologists, good friends for support and encouragement. And I encourage you that if you think that perhaps that this is something that you're struggling with, that to seek out help there. And for us as a community to be there for those who are struggling. We need to be good friends to people who are struggling with anxiety in our midst. And being a good friend means not just commanding people to stop being anxious, because Philippians 4 said so, but it's actually walking beside them, listening to them, grieving with them, empathizing with them, but also reminding them of the deep gospel truths, that because they are in Christ, even in this hard time, they can still have peace because God still loves them and God has them in their hands. That's a wonderful thing to do as a friend. Now, this is, that's just a really brief um, you know, talk about this. I'd really recommend this book. I think it's something we could all read and benefit a lot from so we can care for each other better in our midst. So friends, um, 
as we finish this point, let me just sum up. A winning mindset, it's one that rejoices in the Lord, even in the hard times. That's how we can stand firm, because we actually understand who we are in Jesus Christ. And there's one more key to your faith game plan, and that's your diet. You've got to feed yourself with good things, all right? I've got a bit of a confession to make as we start here. <clears throat> Often, um, before I go to sleep, I have a late night snack. Anyone else do that, late night snacks? You guys are all lying, honestly, no hands out. Come on, honestly. Um, I'll just go hunting for food. I, don't, I just get hungry, I just go hunting for food, whatever I can find. Unfortunately, in my house, there's always a, a big supply of like chips. I actually blame Josh Wong for this because every time he comes over, he brings a packet of, or multiple packets of chips because his friend works for a chip company. Yeah? Um, so there's always a lot of chips. I uh, end up starting with a few chips, but I end up eating at least half the packet of chips, sometimes the whole packet, I'm, I must admit. Um, and without fail, the next morning I'll wake up and I'll feel terrible. Yeah? <laughs> I won't feel great. My body's telling me you should not have done that. Don't do that. And you don't have to be an elite athlete to know that what you put into your body impacts your performance, right? They have their diets carefully curated so they don't so they have the optimum input of nutrition and all those things. You get it out what you put in. And the Apostle Paul addresses this also with our, with our spiritual lives. Have a look on the screen here. Philippians 4 verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. We've seen that standing firm needs the right mindset, a mindset rejoicing in the Lord. But let me tell you, that mindset of rejoicing in the Lord can only come if you're feeding your mind with the right things. If you're focused, meditating on, soaking in what's true, noble, right, pure, lovely, excellent, praiseworthy, that's where your mindset will come from. What else could this be talking about except the gospel of Jesus Christ? The one thing that Paul has been talking about over and over again this whole letter. We need to take in the gospel continuously to fuel a healthy spiritual life. I think most of us, uh, we understand, you know, we, we watch our diets to an extent at least. We spend effort making sure our bodies are healthy. But what about our souls? What about our souls? Are we feeding our minds with junk food? Do we have a bit of a junk food diet there? I wonder, I wonder if we actually look at maybe our Netflix history or our browser history or our social media history, what would actually testify to that we're actually feeding ourselves? Would it be full of violence, sex, materialism, comparison, discontentment, maybe gossip, outrage culture? Is, is, is that the things that's the dominant things that are coming into our minds. Junk food, friends, won't help you grow a healthy spiritual life. And I'm not here today to tell you, give you rules about what you can and can't watch or you know, what you should. You need to take responsibility for that. You need to think, but I want you to stop and reflect. Are the things that you're feeding your mind honoring Jesus Christ? That's the question we just need to keep asking ourselves. Do they honor Jesus? If you're feeling dry, if you're feeling maybe that you're not growing, if you're feeling like you're stuck in a rut, maybe because you aren't feeding your minds with the right things. 
Maybe a change of diet is what you need. And friends, let me tell you something. There's alternatives, right? We live in an age where there's so much helpful Christian content out there. Helpful Christian content. There are so many good books out there to read. All right? There's a whole list on our webpage on, under the Digging Deeper section. I can, we'll post up a link to that later. There's fantastic podcasts out there. Um, lately, something that Lee Ching and I have been doing a, a listen, is, has been listening to audiobooks on Audible. Uh, here's two that we've been listening to lately that have been really helpful. One's called uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, uh, which is wonderful, talking about how hurry often rubs, off, rubs us of being able to meditate on Christ. Uh, the other is Gentle and Lowly. That's, I think, one Christian book of the year last year or something like that. It's, it's wonderful. It just focuses on who Jesus is. And, you know, we've just been audiobooking those. Um, that's been really helpful to reorientate our minds. Um, even TV. There's a show called uh, The Chosen, which is actually good. Because normally Christian TV, to be honest, I don't think it's that great. But this is a great show. It's really well made. It's actually on Netflix now. That's how big it got. Because um, it actually helps you want to read the Bible more. As I've watched it, I've wanted to dig back into the Gospels, to look back at who Jesus is, what the disciples felt. It helps you to feel the story of Jesus. And of course, just open up your Bibles, friends. This is the precious Word of God we have in our hands. Little by little, bit by bit, day by day, this Word, it transforms our hearts and our minds. Little by little, we just have to do it consistently. This is God's chosen means of transformation. Don't ever discount your Bibles. Because being reminded of the gospel, that will do wonders for your soul. As you do that, verse 9 says this, the God of peace will be with you, growing you, giving you strength, helping you. To stand firm, we need to have the right diet. So friends, What's your game plan? We need to be united. We need to have the right mindset. And we need to feed ourselves with good things. So let me tell you, by God's grace, if you do those things, these are three ingredients that will help you stand firm. Because when we do these things, we're living out who we are. Remember, friends, in Christ, you are a citizen of heaven. You belong to Jesus. So keep standing firm as you await the return of your King, Jesus Christ. He is near. Let me pray. Father God, we just ask for your help. We know we can't stand firm by ourselves, so we just really ask that you help us. And we pray that we will persevere, united, deep in your word, helping each other, rejoicing because of what Christ has done for us. And we pray all these things for your glory. Amen. Friends, I'd ask that you just, we'll take a few minutes to just reflect now. Maybe you want to 